This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is BIPOC Credits, a show that shines a light on the black, indigenous, and people of color who work in the booming BC film industry with high hopes of creating a more diverse Hollywood North behind and in front of the camera. Want to learn about the people behind your favorite movies and TV shows? Keep listening. Want to learn how to survive and thrive in the film industry? Keep listening. Want to convince your parent or guardian to let you be a part of the film industry? Keep listening. Welcome to BIPOC Credits. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Hello, thank you so much for joining us today on BIPOC Credits. I'm your host, Andy Wong. When I was 17 years old, a computer program recommended the job of a stunt actor as a potential career for me. It was the best day of my life in high school. I loved the idea of falling downstairs, being set on fire, getting hit by cars as a job. That sounded awesome. But there was only one problem. I had no idea where to begin. So I'm incredibly excited to introduce our guest today, Irma Leong who has been a stunt actor and performer for over a decade and has now moved into stunt coordinating. Irma has worked on shows like the film Percy Jackson, the TV show Smallville, the 2017 remake of Death Note, and of course, Deadpool, the show that hired many of the stunt performers in BC. In this episode, she goes into detail explaining the different roles in the stunt world, from performers to actors to riggers, bet you didn't know that was a thing. We also discuss her experience as a coordinator and the struggles that exist for women in that position. If you want to hear about how to make people fly, what being a part of the stunt community is like, and how to get into stunts, keep listening, because without further ado, here is my conversation with Irma Leon. Thanks so much for joining us uh, today, Irma, on this podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about the stunt community and, and how you got into stunt performing. The first question that I have is, do you really have to be good at martial arts in order to be a part of the stunt community, in, in order to get into stunts? Yes and no. I mean, it really depends on what your qualifications are. Like, if you want, if you want more jobs as a stunt performer, then 
doing martial arts is definitely a required skill if you want to have more opportunities. So uh, there's a lot of fighting in like happening in movies, like especially all these Marvel uh, superhero shows. So it's definitely highly recommended. But if you don't have it, it's not the biggest deal. Um, you're just not going to be working as much. That's all. Yeah. Right. You just can't get hired for those parts and those parts. Would you say like take up most of the the work? Those fighting fighting work. I think like majority of it is, but um, like majority of the f- of of stunts is like like falling, hitting the ground, reacting. So, and a lot of those times, it's going to involve some sort of fight, even if it's a bar fight. So you could be like, you don't have to be a martial artist. You kind of just need to learn on what film fighting is because it's different from actual technical martial arts. You can be uh, actually, you can actually be an amazing um, martial artist, but a terrible film fighter. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and why is that? It's the camera angle, like certain, like a say boxing, for example. Like you want to be really tight, so you want to, you know, to go to the opponent. And you want to be close, but in film fighting, because of the cameras, um, it being a lot slower to catch the motions. You actually have to make your motions wider, like bigger, so it goes across the screen. So a real boxing move, like a real hook, wouldn't go all the way across. Right. Dancers are really good as as good film fighters because they're really good knowing their, you know, their movements and making things nice and long. So like if any type of um, performer, they're usually really good at fighting. Also, they can pick up choreography pretty fast. Yeah, because it's the the choreography that ends up being the most important when it comes to that kind of fighting. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a dance. Your your a fight is a dance, pretty much. And uh, how do you get training into things like falling and and uh, um, I guess bar fights? Like you wouldn't go out and just randomly pick a bar fight in order to get some training, right? I think some people <laughs> do. Oh no, really? <laughs> well, you know what? There's a lot of like. If you really think about it, if you're an athlete coming from, say, like, even mountain biking, mountain biking, skiing, playing hockey, there's all those, like, contact sports, right? You're going to go hit someone, you're playing football, you're going to tackle someone, you're going to fall, you know, same thing with the hockey, soccer, um, like, gymnastics is a huge base because the first thing we teach in gymnastics is how to fall and how to like fall safely. Same thing with martial arts, right? You want to learn, they, they teach you all these different ways to fall. So then when you, something does happen, you're, you're safe in landing. More sports, more gymnastics, more dancing. That's, that's the way. Like a stunt performer <laughs> is an athlete. It's a full-time athlete job. I mean, there's other, um, there's, there's other stunts that you would be doing that might not require you to like be much athletic, like, uh, like driving, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> like you're sitting in the car, but driving's really, uh, difficult as well. It, like, it might sound easy as a driver, like, oh yeah, I could drive a car. I, I could do some like wheelie or not wheelies, but, uh, I could do some circles and slide 90 and 360, but 
a lot of people aren't thinking about the the safety concerns like as driving a car and how precise you want to be like you know if you want to they put like a camera at a certain spot and they say hey you have to be like a foot away from the camera you're going to slide it right into the camera frame like that's that's pressure <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a lot of pressure yeah yeah even just like hearing that i'm like oh i can feel that tension already it's like you got to get that perfect exactly and then you also have the crews like you know like where are they gonna be as a stunt coordinator are you usually the one kind of telling um where the crew where they should be or is that the first ad's job to do uh it's well it's both like the ad is gonna tell me as the coordinator hey what's the what's the safest spot for all the crew members and then so i'll just you know tell them this is the safety zone and then the 80s tell everyone else i like to actually circle back to your uh, experience in performing stunts how did you actually get started uh, and when did you get started if you don't mind answering that <laughs> i actually started a long time ago um i was a national level gymnast way 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 back i feel i don't want to tell my age <laughs> but um i got a commercial uh, like an ICBC commercial. And I, it was the first time I was ever on a film set. And I thought, man, this is a really cool job that I can perform. I could still, you know, be athletic and, and perform and I get money out of it too. Like it's a, it's a cool job. Uh, it just took me the longest time though, to get into stunts because there's like no agent you know, you could be, you could have an agent for background. You could have an agent to be an actor, but like, there's nothing. I, it was so lucrative. Right. Yeah. So, um, the way I got into it was by finding other stunt performers, uh, who like where they were training. So I would just start training with them. And, uh, one day there was like a casting call for a show or the film Percy Jackson. And uh, right. yeah. I got to, yeah, I, like I auditioned for it and I got to be one of the a stunt performers. So that was my first way of getting in. And then, uh, oh, okay. yeah. And then after that, after that job, the uh, coordinators on that show continued to hire you and thereby getting you more experience kind of thing. Is that? No. <laughs> no? I wish. I wish, I wish I could say, yeah, I just, that's how I got my first credit. And that's how I got yeah. it. No, it's nothing like that. Like I, uh, after that job, I think it took me another three years to get m my next credit. And it literally is just like a waiting game hmm. because back in the day, like when I started stunts, there was only a few, like maybe, maybe you're lucky to have like eight productions. So like I was competing for a job and also back then there wasn't many roles like for Asian actors or Asian stunt performers. Right. A lot of it was like Hallmark movies and no offense, but Hallmark movies are, uh, have a lot of Caucasians and <laughs> predominantly white protagonists. Yeah, yeah there, there was there was a lot of opportunities for white people, and not much opportunity for any eth ethnic people. So it was really really difficult. I uh, I just I don't know. I just persevered and waited and just trained. So uh, 
it, it's a different story now than what it was right. when I was in it. Do you remember like when uh, work started picking up for you? Uh, is it is it due to this like current push for diversity in in uh, Hollywood films and TV shows right now? Yeah, and I would say that the push started maybe in two thousand fourteen. I would I, it's mm. somewhere around there. There, there's only like 30 films, uh, foreign films that are allowed into China. And I do remember um, in order for you, in order for any of the productions to have to be to be uh, theatrically released in China, they actually had to have certain requirements. So for one, it was like you had to have an, an Asian character in your movie. You have to have uh, an Asian setting. Um, right. Your either your producer, your director, or your cast right. are Asian. So that's from what I've heard, and it kind of seemed that's the way with things right. were going. And I was like, oh, there's this show, and it it if you just look back, probably from like 2014, 2015, whatever, and notice how there was like an increase of like Asian people. Asian uh, settings and stuff like that. Yeah, I heard something like that as well. That um, that there were a lot of like partnerships with Chinese production companies um, because they wanted to hit the Chinese, uh, the Asian market, the, the China market, the China market. Yeah, yeah. Just because like there's so many people down there, um, eventually Hollywood realized that they needed to tap that market in order to get that money in that world and you know what i think they do too is they um they do the theatrical release in china first then they do then they do hollywood and, and that's now nowadays or is that I like believe, i want to say yes but i think it's also because yeah. of the pirating that happened so they would like <laughs> because of the pirating like in america right so like right and then yeah then it'd be torrented and like all these Asian smart people are like downloading it. Why would I need to spend money when I could just find it up on, I don't know, streaming somewhere. A hundred percent. And, and coming from an Asian family, uh, I definitely can admit that I've watched a lot of, uh, pirated films back when, uh, like 10 years ago when I was like younger. I I will admit to that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that wasn't even like, that was just, I, I was, I was merely like, you know, 15, 16 years old. Um, and I didn't know how to pirate, but I had an uncle that did. So it wasn't even like the younger people. It was like the uncles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to blame it on my uncles too. <laughs> Absolutely. Blame it all on their uncles. No. <laughs> did you, um, ever have to perform, uh, or stunt double as a uh, for a, like a Caucasian character or anything like that before. Oh yeah, actually. So in the beginning of my career, because there wasn't that many uh, Asian characters, I was fortunate enough to actually get my jobs as as doubling white people. Gymnastics is my background, and so there was this one scene on a show where it required a girl to like flip and tumble and, and kick some guy's ass. And the original double wasn't 
she wasn't capable of doing it. And they were like in a rush. They're like, we need to find someone this right size. And uh, they, they found me, thank goodness. And uh, like they dyed my hair and like they put some sunglasses on me and I got to like swing through a window and then like got to tumble and kick some guy's ass. So it was a, it was a really fun show. It was a really fun gig at the moment too. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, that sounds really fun. Was that yeah. like one of your first, the uh, first gigs that you did back then? Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, and then like, just cause it had everything that I like doing gymnastics and wires. Can you talk a bit about like what the wiring process is and, and why you would need wires? You get like a, like a harness. So it's like a belt, like think of like a climbing harness or just, or like a vest and it has all these little mini picks. And you right. basically get um, picked with a rope and you're cinched on and at the other end of the rope is some guy pulling you oh you're doing like well it's a wire assist is what what i would do so as i jump up in the air and flip the guy is there behind me to lift me to get me a little bit higher just so i could do everything on concrete you know uh it's just to help my gymnastics right if you were a superhero and you were you needed to like fly, they would just like yank right. you up into the air. Or if you are like going to get smashed through a window and they want it like if someone like super powerful like the you know a Jedi force through, they're gonna probably pull you either through a wire assist or a ratchet, and then you oh. have to yeah fall through glass and then fall onto the ground all that stuff there's there's a lot of use for wire work that sounds incredibly fun <laughs> yes and no sometimes uh so like the show arrow uh-huh if you go back like i i know a lot of my stunt friends just kind of got wrecked from all the ratchets that they had to do so it's like oh. you know they get and ratchets aren't the they're not the funnest like wired gags you want it ratchets is basically like a it's not a pull from a person it's basically like a cylinder compressed with air so all they do is you push a button and there's all this force that comes from the from the initial beginning of being thrown right so it's it's a lot more and then and then there's uh there's no safety for you to just land you just literally hit the ground or you hit the wall or you're wherever you're supposed to land like onto yeah so there's a bit more impact at the end there oh yeah yeah the force of like the initial force of being pushed is a lot greater can you tell us the difference between a stunt performer a stunt double and a stunt actor oh yeah there's a stunt as a stunt performer there is um you could be a you call it an ND stunt, which is a non-descripted stunt performer. So those are for if this, the script requires like, um, let's just say like pedestrians that are getting closely hit. It doesn't have a description of who these people are. There's just regular folks that would be considered ND stunt. 
uh, stunt double is when you are doubling for an actor. And so you're going to try to find someone that has the right height, size, uh, ethnicity, and then also being able to find whatever type of skill that they need for that stunt double. Um, as a stunt actor, it's basically a stunt performer that will have lines. So, oh, okay. yeah, basically the old security guy in a, in a movie that says, freeze. And then they get, and shot. get shot. That's a stunt <laughs> actor right there. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And uh, you mentioned that you had doubled for uh, someone that wasn't your ethnicity. Um, can, can you talk a bit about uh, the type of things that they do to, I guess, match you to that ethnicity? Or if there's any like, if there's any like tiptoeing around, um, uh, around like the sensitive uh, issue of uh, doubling of someone with a different ethnicity? Uh, yeah, like. Usually what happens is if they're, what they're, what they're going to do as a stunt coordinator is if I find, if I can't find anyone in the city, I'll do like a nationwide search. So we have a thing called, there's a website called Stunt List and like, basically there, there'll be a search for like, hey, we're looking for someone that's uh, 5'3 Asian like boy, for example. Um, and you know, all he's doing, they'll have a description of what this person needs to do and then it'll just go out. And if there's, you know, people will email things, but they're, they're going to look for like the best person. And if you couldn't find say that five, three Asian guy to do it, they're going to find something that's best match. So either a, a guy that's like five, 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 or maybe he's five, five, nothing, right? They might be able to do that. And like, I've been fortunate. I've actually doubled a guy, actually kids. It's really difficult to find kid doubles. So there's right. one particular girl. She doubles so many kids, like, and they're, they're usually boys, like they're boys. And oh, girls. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just basically, you need to do your due diligence to find the right person, but you also have to make sure that they are also skillful in whatever job that is. So say he has to be, say the Asian dude that you're looking for is skateboarding. You want to find someone that's capable of doing that, but if you can't really just, you know, you, you want to be able to find the right match. So if there was... right. Say if, I, say if I already know how to skateboard and there was no one else, well, it's not that hard to just basically put like a a wig on and like put some baggy clothes on. Maybe that's what it's supposed to be. And if I was the right person, like if I was the closest match and I had the skill for it, well, then they'll probably call for me. So Right. Yeah. I know there's a, a bit of like pushback in the media these days about like, um, the doubles not reflecting uh, the accurate ethnicity of the actors themselves. And from what I'm understanding of what you're saying is like, sometimes this needs to happen because at the end of the day, it's about who can do the job the best. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to look for the person that's right for the job. 
um, because of the skill. Like it, it's a safety concern for stunts. That's actually what our number one job is in stunts is to be making sure that our cast members, our, our uh, crew members are all safe and that, you know, whatever action is, it might be like, like a driving scene, for example, like you, you want someone that's going to be able to like weave in and out through a series of, of uh, like cars or motorcycles or stuff like that. You kind of want someone that's going to be capable of doing that without any, any type of uh, accidents on, on set. Yeah. Especially when it comes to like the crew's lives on the line, like meritocracy definitely takes precedence over like being politically correct or being accurate in representation. A lot of things can go wrong. Like, you know, there's, there's been even deaths that's happened. Like if there was basically a job position for me, say, like say snowboarding, I like, I'm not the best snowboarder. And if they wanted me to throw tricks down and flip, well, <laughs> I'm like, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to probably turn that one down being like, you know what, you want me to flip off this like 10 foot ramp and like do some sort of twisties and then land? Heck no, I'm going to say no to that job. No yeah. way. It's like, right? Yeah, for sure. You, you gotta know. You gotta know when to say no, right? Um, even as a star, right, that's performer, really important. Very much so. We have the right to refuse work, and I think as a professional stunt performer, if there's something that's happening that's unsafe on set, uh, whether you are the performer or the coordinator, you need to be able to tell production hey this isn't yeah. this isn't safe uh can we do something can we work around whatever needs to happen because we've had that before um for example i know of a female performer she had a weird heels on set and there was like this weird it's like this gag where she had to jump down and she was wearing heels and the weird thing is that the the actor wasn't wearing any heels at the time but the stunt performer had to and she was landing into like some mats and she didn't speak up and like the coordinator he probably maybe didn't know I'm not really sure like mm -hmm. it was kind of like sometimes you don't think about shoes as a female mm -hmm. but anyway she jumped down and landed and like tore all her ligaments Oh, <laughs> you know, like, oh, no. that was a very unsafe situation. And, you know, like, it was unfortunate that happened. But it's like little things like that, that you don't, you, you wouldn't really consider. It's a more of like a aftermath thought, like, oh, like, oh, I'm, I'm wearing heels. Oh, I'm performing. And like, the last thing you're going to think about is like, what shoes you're wearing. Right. So, it happens. So as a coordinator, have you ever um, had to like bring these to the attention to um, production for the performer? Yeah, as like a stunt performer, like we always go into fittings and especially being a female performer where we always get costumes, always trying to give us heels. And uh like this one, this one costumer once she, she like gave me these heels and she's like, 
here's here's the stunt shoes. These are really good. Um, I've had other female uh, girls use it for like car hits and and fighting. This one will be great for you. Like so, basically, she's just telling me that hey, I have to wear this no matter what because I've had she's had other performers wear it. Well. My job wasn't about getting doing a car hit, or was it? Well, it was fighting, but I had to do certain moves. I had to do right. gymnastics, and uh, unfortunately, like it's really difficult to do certain skills, certain gymnastics moves by using like on heels. Um, yeah, understandably. So, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm tumbling on a marble floor and I'm doing it multiple times. It gets like, no one sees shoes that well. Like, um, so, you know, it's, it's a discussion of like, Hey, can I get rid of these shoes? And, you know, majority at the end of the day, I, I had my own pair of black shoes. I kind of like switched the shoes out and like, ta-da! <laughs> like no one, no one complained about the shoes. So, yeah. Okay, that's great. That's yeah. great. I'm glad you didn't have to wear them at the end of the day to. No, and stuff. and I've I've had other coordinators just say, nope, she's not wearing that. She'll like, it's really great. Like our community is really great about the whole topic about shoes. Like it's it's right. funny how that works. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I've uh, even I've had to come to production like. Uh, a show that I just recently coordinated, I was really adamant about making sure that there was mats on, on a grassy field because we're rainy city, Vancouver. And we had all these dancers come and dance and they're, they're also tumbling on a slip, like slippery, like a, well, on a very slick grass, grass and everything. Yeah. And all these dancers and they're not stuff performers, they're dancers. So there's right. a, they're different. They're in a different category for stunts. They're still in the union uh, performers, the union BC performers. But um, I was saving their ankles. That was like, that was like, they, they had like eight choreographed dance routines that they had to perform for this show. I'm not going to like have them slip and sprain their ankle and then be done for yeah. the whole, uh, for the whole production. show. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I coordinated that. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So, and I spoke up to production a few times about it, and I kind of like, you know, like, hey, this is really dangerous. And, you know, you, you have the director, and I get it, he has a vision of what it's going to look like. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to push for what's going to be the safest for the performers. Yeah. Do the performers come up to you and say no and they don't want to do this? Or do they go up to the director and, and the uh, production themselves and speak up to them? If we're talking about a stunt performer, yes. You you come to your stunt coordinator and you say, hey, I don't think that this is safe. Um, that's when there's a conversation that needs to be happening. And, uh, you know, as, as a coordinator, I'm going to take take their concerns and then I will try to fix it. So they are comfortable doing whatever, uh, whatever action it's going to be. And Hey, it actually might be even better than what, than what I suggested before. And sometimes, I mean, then it's also my responsibility to like tell the director, Hey, we changed this action. It's going to be this instead. Um, and it's, it's just a conversation to make sure that everyone knows like what the changes are. And uh, so everyone is comfortable with it. Can you talk about how you uh, realized that you wanted to be a coordinator as opposed to a performer and, and what that transition was like going into coordinating? Oh, that one's a tough one. Um, I, I didn't like, instantly wake up and say, Hey, I want to be a coordinator. <laughs> kind of like some of it kind of just got thrown at me. Oh yeah. And, and it started in Ottawa, to be honest. I, I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm the right person for the job. But then I realized that the people in Ottawa 
that I was working for had even less experience than me. And I, so I was like, oh, wait, okay, I know, I know a little bit more than you. So I kind of like helped guide them through it. So that right. was really cool. And then you're like, oh, okay, maybe I can handle said. Maybe I do know more things than than before. Um, so that's kind of how it started. But then I also, on the off side of, of doing stunts, uh, my friends would like, we would make our own short film. And together with my friends, Trevor and Cassandra, we produced uh like uh, a web series called Life XP. So right. we've produced short films and web series, and it's no different than coordinating, like coordinating a, a stunt. So, right. Yeah. Because as a producer, you're thinking about all those things as well. Like you're thinking about how to do these stunts without anyone getting hurt. Um, and I guess like your coordinating experience kind of transfers into that. Uh, that mindset yeah exactly like the producers all thinking about the entire film whereas the stunt coordinator gets to just focus on just the action in the film so right. they write down the they break down the script like read down read about what's happening and uh what action is happening and then you kind of indicate whether okay well is it actor action do I just need to step be a stunt coordinator and make sure that the actors are safe on set there? Or is it dangerous that I need to have a stunt double, you know, to replace the actors so they can do that? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's all of that little stuff. And then like, if it's a big scene where, Hey, I might need to have some rigging involved. We might need to have some rehearsals to do this. Uh, it, it just gets bigger and bigger depending on what the action. Have you ever had an issue of like wanting to bring a, a stunt actor in um, onto a, a stunt, but then production didn't have the money or didn't want to have another person there or something like that? More about like the stunt. It's more about rig. I say I had to bring like a rigger in. Like there's a stunt rigger. So I, oh, man. I get to feel so bad because when we started talking about stunt, all these stunt uh, categories, I was like, there's stunt actors, there's stunt performers, or I mean, there's a stunt actor, stunt double, but there's also stunt riggers, which is basically work behind the scene. And they're the ones that are like pulling you or they're the ones that are sending you off into like midair on a ratchet. Um, and they, yeah, those guys are, amazing to work with <laughs> they're, they're very valuable in stunts when you need to get some sort of big action happening so they are they're the ones that help fly all the stunt performers gotcha they're the ones that kind of like rig up all the gags and and yeah. make sure that they're all safe enough to perform exactly in stunt uh riggers came from special effects so oh, okay yeah so originally with special effects that you know, it's little things like, oh, we got to open the door or it's uh, or like a little piece of object is flying in the air. And, and are these stunt riggers like part of the uh, performers union as well, UBCP? Yes, they are. Um, the, they, the only thing that they don't get, though, is uh, like they get the, the rates and everything, but they don't get a buyout, which I kind of get because they're behind the camera. 
but they, they also work a lot though. And, um, a lot of these superhero shows would not have happened if we didn't have Stunbringers. So my hats to them. And I, yeah, I have huge respect for people that can uh, make me fly and keep me safe. That's the other thing too. It's for them. It, it's about keeping the performers safe. Can you talk a bit about your uh, first day as a coordinator? And I guess, how did you overcome that? like questioning yourself my probably my very first real paid gig as a stunt coordinator just happened recently and um from producing the short films I had pretty good confidence with stepping in and being a stunt coordinator for a movie and then it kind of like dwindled when I started talking to the director because he was like oh we need we need someone to know about wires and I was like oh, that's me. And he goes, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. And like, yeah, he kind of like kind of brushed me off the side. And I just felt like felt... he didn't trust you for your for any of your judgments. And so he would like change the script to make it so that you don't have to do your work. That, that's exactly it. That was exactly it. it was it was an online we had an online conversation. It was a big like production meeting. And he mm-hmm. was just like, oh, we don't have anyone for the flying team. And I was like, no, the, that's actually me. And he goes, oh, well, don't worry about it. Like, um, you know, I don't really like it. I, it. It doesn't really make sense in the story. And I was like, okay. And and then the producers were like, oh, well, I guess, I guess we don't really need you. <laughs> like, <laughs> because okay. it was the biggest gag in the show. And I was like, right. but I'm, I was the right person to talk to. And then... When the studio was like, no, 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 we want this gag. And then he was like, he had to talk to me. Right. And then then he was like, oh, well, okay. Okay, fine. Tell me how long it's going to take for us to like shoot this. What is it going to look like? And so I kind of explained it to him and he was like, oh, okay. And then, but he was still like unsure about what it was going to, how it was going to look like. Right. And um, even though you explained it to him already. Yeah, I explained it to him, and then after going through a uh, the location scouting, and and he was showing us the vision. I wanted to confirm his vision, and I was there was something funny with the script, so I wanted to make sure that we were clarifying everything. And he kind of just like blew up at me about, "Hey, you like you don't really understand what I'm talking about. Like it's just." So much miscommunication huh. that happened between him, like him and me. And instead of really just sitting down and going over the script and thinking about it, he like went right to my uh, key rigger and was like, hey, you understand me. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. There is something fishy happening here. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, this guy is, this uh, director is older He's old, he's old school and he kind of works mainly with males. Oh, okay. And your rigor was a, a, a older man. He was a very rugged, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very rugged male that this guy yeah. could only talk to. And at the end of the day, I was kind of in the right and the director mm-hmm. apologized, but he never apologized to me. He apologized oh. to my rigor for the misunderstanding. 
And I was just like, this was really weird. Like, I don't know why you would even do that. And I mean, I guess the one thing I could have done is gone to the, to the producers and talked to them about it because I really felt uncomfortable being in like in the job, in my position, because I felt like, um, like I, I kind of felt like I was the one causing problems when really I was just being my, doing my job and making sure that, that what I do would be correct and safe for everyone. Did your, uh, uh stunt rigor ever, um, like, I guess back you up or anything in, in all this? Oh yeah. He, he was amazing. He was, he was actually the one that really pointed it out about how, uh, like, how sexist this man was <laughs> towards me because he just thought, Hey, this little Asian female girl, she can't, she doesn't know anything about wires, but I, that's actually like one of my skills, but yeah, I know he, he backed me up and it was like, you know, he told the director, Hey, Irma's the boss. If you need to, if you need something to discuss, like discuss it with her, please have it yeah. in writing because he's like, I don't want to get in trouble. That's not my, it wasn't his position. That's awesome to hear how supportive he was with all that. And how he, like, sounds like your team really has your back. Yeah, I have to say that my community here is really good. Especially with, um, they're really good with female performers. And like female coordinators and everything. Everyone's very respectful here. And I think that's just how Vancouver is aiming is has always been like they've always been very inclusive to uh females and ethnicity for sure like they try <laughs> and like of course yeah. it's always like a learning process like a, a changing landscape but it sounds like um the stunt team really wants to change with the times as opposed to like some people who just like to stay in their little comfort zone. <laughs> you're, you're talking about Vancouver. We're very, I think we're very um, open to everything. There's advantages and disadvantages. We have kind of become known that if you want to be a stunt performer, come to Vancouver because there's lots of people that will help you train. And, and there's also, well, we're also in um, Hollywood North. So there's a lot of productions out here too. So a lot um, of productions out here. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of need right now for ethnicity, for eth- mm-hmm. ethnic performers, stunt performers. Are there any like training grounds or anything like that that um, the stunt community has started in order to uh, train these like newer uh, uh, ethnic um, stunt performers? Over the summer, there was a huge calling for. Um, for Japanese descendants performers <laughs> to come and just like, you know, open auditions, see what you can do. Uh, they, anyone that got picked actually got like two weeks, two or three weeks worth of training to be a stunt performer. I'm like, it's yeah. mind blowing. Like Cause paid training. I don't, you know, I don't even know. I'm not even sure, but to be honest, I don't even like as a, if I was a stunt performer back then, I'll be like, you don't need to pay me. You're helping me train to be a stunt performer. Like that's priceless. I'm sorry. Totally I- fair. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I had that opportunity, like when I was in high school or even in college, like I would have probably jumped on. 
yeah, don't pay me. I'm totally fine. Exactly. And like, what? All you had to be is Japanese? Like, that's that's crazy. That's, come yeah. on. It blows my mind on what we're actually, actually what our stunt community is doing by, by like having these types of workshops and seminars to become a stunt performer where way back then, like when I first started, there is no, there was no school. It was a uh, go go do background. That was our schooling was go do background, go volunteer on set, go meet the coordinators, like go train. And, uh, you know, social media wasn't that big at the time. See, I'm, I'm showing everyone my age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's been a crazy ride though for, for what I've have witnessed in my years of doing stunts where it was like, you know, I, I think I'd be happy if I got like one or two stunt days per year. And now it's like, these kids are like, they're all, they're getting way more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, would you say like the, the stunt coordinators and, and stunt, older stunt performers nowadays are um, hoping to see like the younger generation uh, be more involved in the stunt community? Like our Vancouver community has been really good at mentoring younger folks. Um, and it's always been like that through, even through my time. It's just that there's, I think the issue right now is that because there's so much more need of performers that we have to kind of like, uh, we have to speed them up with teaching them how to, how to be professional on set. For example, so um, our union created a stunt orientation and I've been part of that where we basically teach the newer stunt performers on professional etiquette on set, (laughs) like, you know, how how to be, how to, how to be on time, how to read a call sheet, like all these little things that, uh, you know, it probably took me a good year or so to like learn everything, but it's like all in one workshop that's great that the union's getting involved in like in in helping to train people who are coming up really quickly because it's gotten so busy that like this is the kind of mentorship that i think you know we need in order to have more solid uh performers and people working in the industry exactly and i would i would think that the crew would be needing that amount of people as well right like because there's yeah and there's not that much of a training uh program it's right now it's starting to become more and more popular uh, um better like training programs and everything and now there are like courses for um second ading and and third ading and things like that but before i started like five or six years ago um even uh there wasn't a second ad course it was all like trial by fire and and really it's really just recently that these things started picking up what would you recommend a uh like a, a newer person who's trying to get into stunts uh what, what what should they do in order to get into the community and the industry to be honest just work on your on your craft so if you want to work on your martial arts if you want to fight uh yeah go take a boxing lesson not just one like, like a whole like years worth of boxing, taekwondo, yeah, like 
jiu-jitsu, whatever, gymnastics, wires. If you want to be a car person, cars way, it's very, very difficult to get into. Why specifically cars? Why is that more difficult than the rest? Well, you have to look at the safety aspect of driving a car. So think about it, for example. If I wanted to hit, or if you were going to get hit by a car, would you want to be hit by a 20-year veteran uh, that has (laughs) driven cars and that has been hit by a car? Or would you want to be hit by a newbie that just, like, likes to drive because Uh, they have a Tesla? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Driving is good for for the older stunt performers, for their older vets. I, I know tons of like car drivers and they are they're practicing almost every weekend. And not only that, mm. there's all a tight knit group that drive together a lot. So they kind of know how each one work. And so when you're doing a driving sequence, you want to trust the other cars around you. Yeah. And if a stunt performer wanted to like get connected with stunt coordinators would you recommend, you know, talking to stunt coordinators on set as a background or? I don't think it's frowned upon, but like you have to, obviously you have to play it by ear, right? You're, you're a background performer. There's like a big, huge scene. Uh, it, it really depends. Like with, you got to look at what the coordinator is doing. If they're like super busy back off don't yeah. do anything definitely don't read anything. the room it's a very yeah. easy day and like they're kind of just chilling on the side yeah you know you can go and say hi um i think majority of the time coordinators are just they they really enjoy having just emails if you could just if you happen to find their email you can just emails emails okay. are good do a little introduction yeah. show off like your headshot resume you can do a cover letter um you know, tell them where you're training. And it, it's, sometimes a lot of it just happens with uh, your job kind of happens with other stunt performers, to be honest. Because if you're out training with other performers and say that performer had a job and that coordinator was looking for someone, you know, it's like, oh, hey, I, I know this new guy. I, uh, he's been working really hard. Like you kind of want someone to help vote for you because at the end of the day, it's still about trust on set. Can I trust this performer to do this action safely? At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is like, can we trust you to make sure that this production goes smoothly? I have new friends and they get, sometimes they get a little disappointed, like, oh, I didn't get hired, right? Or like, no one called me for this show. Well, do they know you? You know, like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah, for I, sure. I'm going to hire someone that I know that I, yeah. I know that I, that can do the job. Uh, also, social media is really good too. Social media. Yeah. What, I, uh, what would you suggest posting on social media? Um, Like I suggest like posting your training or like if you're going to do a little film fight or some sort, like, uh, I'm impressed by some of the new performers that are out there showing what they're doing. And, uh, but you also, it's also could be a disadvantage because if you aren't doing so well, yeah, that also right. deterrent. you're like, uh, that person is right. still not ready. So if you're going to be posting something on social media, you better make sure it's 
damn well good. <laughs> Anyone who's interested in learning more about stunts or, or anything like that, um, uh, register for our newsletter, and then um, we'll have uh, resources uh, that uh, we can put in. That of course, Irma has quite a few resources she would love love to share. <laughs> yes, I, I I do, and I will save it for your newsletter. Yeah, and anything that you mention on on this uh, podcast as well, we'll also look it up and then we'll also like add a link to it. Sounds great. I'm going to end this off with some rapid fire questions. I ask everyone uh, first is uh, what's the worst advice you were ever given? Uh, don't get into stunts. <laughs> 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 Literally that was, I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> that negativity is like always something that we, we remember. There's always that one person that says that. Yeah. It did deter um, me though for a while. Yeah, but yeah, it did. Uh, what's the best advice you were ever given? Uh, my the best advice was always like, don't say. Always be honest about your your skill level. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah, especially if you're trying to get into stunts. I know everyone's like, your your first your first job is always you're always going to be eager to do it. I got asked if I was good in the water to do some sort of river floaty thing and I'm not a very good swimmer and I, so there was no way I would say yes to it but you yeah. know some people will be like yes I will do it and then they'll try to learn how to swim I don't know it's just <laughs> it's not safe it's not safe don't do all. that yeah for yeah. sure um what uh, what advice would you give your younger self uh getting into the film uh into the stunt industry uh just keep persevering I think that's pretty much it. Like, just don't give up. That was don't the... let the lows deter you kind of thing. Oh, exactly. Like, the even like when I first started, I was 17 and there was a guy that just said, hey, yeah, don't get into stunts. Like, this is what happens. Like, there's there's a lot of backstabbing. There's this casting couch. <laughs> there's like, <laughs> there's, there's things that like, I wasn't very comfortable. Uh, and I knew I wasn't mature enough to handle certain situations. But and so that kind of stopped, but I couldn't stop but think about doing stunts because I just knew at that time, I was like, No, this is, this is the direction I want to be in. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, in your opinion, what does a more diverse film industry look like to you? Oh, that's a good question. I, I feel like it's getting there. I feel like we have gone so far into like, when I first started, it was definitely tons of Caucasians, like, mm -hmm. like producing, really producing, right? And now we're kind of going into this other direction where like, there's diversity, but they're choosing people. I'm, I'm not really sure if they're just choosing people because they are diverse. I really want to make sure that the people that are diverse production world is also skillful as well, you know, educated, yeah, qualified for the job. Qualified. Yes. That's the, that's the right word. <laughs> um, well, thanks so much. Uh, oh, where can we find you on socials? Um, do you have social media or anything like that? I do. I'm um, not very good with my social media, but you can find me on Instagram. That's the one that I use the most. Um, and I think it's at Irma underscore Leon. So. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, Andy. Gotta train and create. Train and create. Continue training 
and your craft is what sets you apart and sh showcasing your talents by filming your sessions is what allows others to see what you're capable of. Going to networking events, meeting stunt coordinators, and emailing them sounds like it's something that's encouraged in this industry. And not even just in stunts. Networking is so crucial to meeting the right people in order to excel in your career. It's not easy to break in, especially in stunts, because everyone wants to be in stunts. The popularity of this profession is just so high. But if you're BIPOC, now isn't a really exciting time to consider it. With the growing demand of BIPOC stunt performers, because of the increasing amount of BIPOC stories and characters in film right now, getting into stunts is easier now than when Irma first started. Of course, you need to train and you need to create in order to prepare yourself for opportunities that may come in the future and allow other people to see what you're capable of doing. The Stoic philosopher Seneca once said, Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. When the opportunity comes, the more prepared you are, the more chances you'll be able to capitalize on it. That's all for today. If you want to keep up with the film events happening around Vancouver, BC, in order to network and meet other filmmakers such as Irma, sign up for our newsletter linked in the episode description of the podcast. Uh, on this newsletter, we put all the film events that we can find um, in one little place so then uh, we can all keep track of what's happening around town. We're also partnered with culturebrew.art, a local initiative that connects all kinds of artists together. If you want free access to this initiative, use the code BCPODCAST. That's B-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thank you all again so much, and I hope to see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art, for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, consider supporting us on Patreon and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.